So in the way that we've linked, we've linked to this sense of this progression of self, other, world, to the linking of body, heart, mind, self in terms of the identification with body, other in terms of the emotional impact and affect of how we are with others, and then world in terms of mind and the way we really create the, our sense of the world. We use that example of how the image of the globe, of the blue-green planet floating in space, easily gives us a sense of world. And yet how, you know, that wouldn't have been the case before that image existed for earlier people. And so, we can't really explore the world without, without starting to unpick the way in which the stories we know about the world the way we've inherited views of the world, views about the world. So a few synonyms, as well as, as we were saying before the, the meditation, the sense of both that outer reaching infinity called space as the world and that inner reaching infinity called consciousness as the world. And the way in the meditation we were sort of playing with the, um, the non-fixed difference between inner and outer worlds. Some other synonyms for world. Um, so world, universe, reality, God. They'll probably do. Right? So God may seem like an interloper in that list. <laughs> but you know the the concept of God the relationship with God, the belief in God, the ideas of God, however she or he or it uh, may appear or be named, etc., is always a way of making sense of the world, making sense of the universe, making sense of reality, having some kind of story of how it came to be like this and how it, the world, is being maintained and what might happen to the future of the world or worlds. So that's how God belongs a little bit in that list. Or some people think he created it. Or right. Right. In the real world, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the way we'll explore is a little different. There's an inquiry I'd like to us to do later on, which is a, has a different format than the way, than another different format. But in a way. It's just like uh, that as we unpack this, uh, what's maybe already starting to seem a mysterious sense of the world, the world. Maybe we thought we knew what the world was, and now we don't. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so just to notice what happens, and if you if some response comes that you want to speak out, you know, and you really ask yourself the question: What is the world? What comes? What, what's the world? That's really the thing that's kept coming to me since yesterday, but it's linked into today. Um, it's just a phrase, there is no separation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, my brother died in July, and he was, had Buddhist practices, so we found a celebrant to help. Mm. She was very Zen influenced. And it was just, there is no separation. Mm. A lovely blessing about releasing him. Mm. Part of it, and I suppose, but 
through the meditation, I'm, I'm experiencing much more on this course. Mm -hmm. the, the fuzziness of the boundaries. Right. And that actually we create the separation. Right. So I suppose rather than self another, I'm thinking about I'm finding the idea of separation in relation to the world quite helpful. Right. Right. Yeah, so something when one really looks, rather than just rely on the usual views of world, when you look at world, one senses, like we were pointing to in the meditation, like you're pointing to now, one senses a certain non-separation where the assumption of separation has nevertheless been there, and where there's all kinds of evidence out of which one could make, understandably, that assumption of separation. And yet, actually, in terms of space, you can't find really endings and beginnings. Right? We can notice and isolate objects and yet all those belong in a kind of undifferentiated or endlessly inclusive or non-separating world. And similarly with time, actually. We have a sense of these three fields of time as if they're separable, the past, the present and the future. Reinforced often by some idea of I'm just supposed to be in the present, right? which we often hear in spiritual kinds of teachings of all all stripes, be in the present, try and forget the past and the future. But even those notions reinforce the idea that they exist in some way, in some, some separable way. And of course, like we were speaking in the group earlier, we can we can remember events and we call that the past, but you can't have any experience of the past. The past doesn't exist in any kind of meaningful way. Your past can't be separated out. Because, and the memory of the event, or the feeling about the event, happens here. Here. Past and present and future are here. So we kind of might get it that the present is here. It's a little hard to get it harder to get it that the past is here. Although actually, in Buddhist funerals, for example, and Zen tradition, often that sense of the recognition of lineage and ancestors and the sense that all our ancestors are present in us. And even it's interesting in DNA, you know, the way in which when uh, they found that when a woman is pregnant, no, hold on, how does it go? That all the, all the, that you're born, is it the, oh, no, I can't remember. There's <laughs> something about the eggs. It's something about the eggs that are complete already. I carry the eggs of my grand Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think we both failed slightly to do justice to that <laughs> explanation, <laughs> but, it's, but it's true, yes. Yeah, and I suppose for me, thinking a lot this year, but also this, this kind of come together Experience is beginningless, yeah. right? Experientially, it's beginningless and endless. So it's a little harder, but we to get it that the past is here, although that's a good example of it, and it's a little harder again to get it that the future is also here. But again, you know, the future we we can speculate and we imagine, we tell ourselves stories, we invent pictures about the future, but you never get there. All that we call future is actually just speculation happening here. 
So any, anything else that comes to mind? What is the world? Think it's the query what is because I guess how is the world? Okay, so please, so do uh, if you want to respond to that rather, how is the world? We look that's also part of what we'll get to, but please go ahead. How is the world, Stuart? How is the world? So, what response comes? Uh huh. Uh, uh, I would say here rather than there, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's there in terms of not there. Right. It exists. Okay. It, it is. Uh-huh. It's okay. around us. It's around me. The next thing I'd say, somebody good mood is it's great. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's interesting, but that's where how is the world goes, right? It leads us in almost almost inevitably into a kind of value-based relationship with the world. How is the world good or bad? You know, that's the sort of direction it leads yeah. us, that question. Uh, you know, getting better or getting worse. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Pleasant or unpleasant, etc. Yeah. 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 So what is my, my small scope, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's myriad ways to inquire into it. So I just want to kind of, you know, look in several different ways. It's like finding our way together so that this too is an inquiry. Because I feel like I can't say very much about what the world is, right? or how the world is. Too vast, too mysterious, and defies all um, attempts to <coughs> pin it down. So that makes my job rather difficult if I'm supposed to tell you something about the world, right? Hence, uh, the, the inquiry. Before this inquiry, I would just thought the world is all inanimate objects. Right. And that, of course, is an inherited view. You could ask people at different times and different cultures and with different worldviews, and that wouldn't be at all their sense of the world. That's the, the world of scientific materialism. Right. That is, is very much the worldview that many or most of us probably have inherited and grown up with. The world is, the universe is, a collection of objects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so, yes, okay. So. Energy. Okay, yeah, the world is energy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so the world is, is uh, some sense of the world being vaster or more inclusive or more hidden or more subtle than just what we yeah, see, like hear, taste. Yeah, energy, which is actually quite alive and dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's happening all the time, mm-hmm. which you can't see, mm-hmm. but actually is quite impactful. Right, right. So the world is impactful in ways that are beyond what our usual sort of Object five-fold life. sensory apparatus. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking that um, you know, the world is how we experience it. So, you know, we're all sitting here in this room and we're experiencing the world all differently. Right. So that you don't know. So, you know, so we all, the world is everyone's different experience of it. Right. The world and is how we experience and, it. And then you think with the meditation and the sitting here, you know, is that one, you know, so it can be one experience. Hmm. Hopefully, 
know, in a way. I like, I love the idea of that. Right. But there's some sort of shared experience, although the reality is that it's different. Like we're all sitting here now. Everyone's having a different experience of being here. Yeah. And you, and you don't know what someone else is. Right. No, you think you know. So we might say the world is subjective, and the world is ambiguous. Yeah. Another way, other ways yeah. of saying what you just said: the world is how we experience it, however we experience it. Yeah. How we experience ourselves. I'm thinking about sometimes I experience the world as something that I am part of the world, right. kind of energy or universe. But sometimes I feel separated. Yeah. Something. It's almost like. I, my, my different experiences are, I don't know, something organic. Yeah. The days that I feel that this is the world is very... Right. So we can... Myself, myself as well. And I think it's, it's something about kind of the dialectic dialogue between how I see the world how I see myself. Yeah. At the same time. So the world is movable in a way. I can yeah. experience myself as the observer of the world, or I can experience being a part of the world, or I could say we, I can experience myself as being the world, yeah. or I can experience myself as being the container of the world, yeah. actually. And that can change. Yeah, yeah. So it's another way in which the world is ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. You see how, as our inquiry opens up, this is the nature of inquiry. Right? We open up the subject matter. We certainly haven't found any answers, right? But the opening up. It reveals some dimensionality, some uh, leads that it's onward leading in that language that Buddha used. Oh. So yes, you wanted to also. Oh, well, I'm um, just reacting to that inanimate thing, and because I feel so completely differently that it's uh, this most amazing set of interactions and interdependencies of which we can grasp at so little, mm. and. Uh, there's, 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 there's this sense of movement and, and energy. And All right, so the world is kind of uh, a network of relationship, relating, meeting, think, affect, affect between everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that sense of Indra's net is a... You know, familiar with Indra's net is like this jeweled net that is a, a kind of ancient Indian image of the way the universe is a jeweled net and each jewel reflects every single other jewel and the reflections of each jewel reflecting other jewel creates this kind of net which holds the universe together and everything constantly affecting each other and in, interpenetrating or as Thich Nhat Hanh rather beautifully puts it everything inter is book, World as Self, World as Love. Mm-hmm. Kind of eco-psychology book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we see so there's, the world can appear in all kinds of different ways, and then we, the part of that inquiry then becomes, well, how, how come the world appears to me in particular ways? Right now, and in the kind of in terms of the accumulation of my beliefs, like how have I come to um, to know the world in this way? I remember somebody once asking my teacher Ajahn Buddhadasa to describe the world. They said, Ajahn, how would you describe the world? And he said, lost in thought. <laughs> <laughs> so the world as as you know, this 
in French, it's interesting that the, the same word, right? le monde, monde is the word for the, the world in a physical sense, and the world, the world of people. So how would you describe the world? Lost in thought. And, one in, and I also remember uh, an Indian um, a sadhu that I spent uh, quite some time with in the high Himalayas in the early 90s, like high, high, like five and a half thousand meters, above the, the Ganges, above the glacier, right up at this place called Tapovan. And we look down, we've got this vast vista of just snow and rock and snow and rock and snow and rock for a long, long way. Can't, the tree line was even too far to see. So, and I said to him, uh, Babaji, what do you see when you, when you look out on the world? And he said, almost like as if it was very obvious, he turned and he said, nothing but myself, <laughs> with, with every kind of name and form. And I just another uh, response here that I just remembered this afternoon. Somebody just uh, sent me this last week in response to speaking about God, which is another, like we were just saying, way of kind of engaging with the world or making sense of the world or having a sense of how the world came to be. And um, the line was, there is no God, there is only God. I thought that was very nice. There is no God, there is only God. Peter? I'll throw it out there. Um, what consciousness, and you brought it back to inside, you, you talked about the world and consciousness. Who knows what consciousness is? Mm. What if it is just pervades everything? Mm. And we link into it and it's the it's when we bring the self that we're then imposing our ideas consciousness on consciousness mm. yeah yeah i mean i think that's what's being pointed to right when we're talking about we say that actually we 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 can we start to see the non-difference between what we call the world, right? In, in other words, the infinity of experience when we orientate towards that way, and then what we call consciousness, which is the infinity of experience orientated this way. And actually, they share all the features that we might look at. They sh share the being, the being the realms of infinite experience. So space and consciousness are actually inter changeable terms and we think of it's easier to say we might talk about inner space or outer space we tend not to talk about inner consciousness and outer consciousness but actually they're interchangeable terms because we don't quite understand space and i didn't think we ever will and because who knows the connection between consciousness and space and because apparently we are 99 empty space way more than 99 percent 99.99999 something. All the matter in the universe would fit in a matchbox, apparently, if you just took the space out. But we can't call it. So, 
But I want our inquiry to be one that we can, um, to be as experiential as possible, right? So, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, especially with this stuff, it's very easy for us to get very speculative, and it's great, and you know that can be fun, and and yet, the the. Uh, if we want to inquire into the world, let it be one, so that's an inquiry that actually might change how we experience the world and, mo and most significantly, how we respond to the world. If we can find out something about a, a non-separation from the world or something, find something out about the ambiguity of the world or find something out, really, about the irreducible nature of the world to being good or bad or right or wrong or this or that or past or future, maybe that might deeply, significantly, liberatingly change how we respond to the world and respond to those sort of views and categories. Actually, that statement can equally can apply equally to the to a certain dissolving of inner and outer. Mm -hmm. World is where I live. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, one can apply that physically. The world is that which I see, that which I engage with, that which I where I live. And yet, equally true, and just in an inner sense, the world is where I live. Mm -hmm. And the world, the world of my imaginings, the world of my projections, the world of my desires, the world of my descriptions. Yeah. And, and equally with that sense of moving through the world, it's actually a, a very interesting inquiry to contemplate to, that sense of moving through the world and then equally to contemplate the sense of the world moving through us, which is, which is, which is true. Do we move through the world or does the move, world through, <laughs> move through us? And actually, like we've been pointing to a lot this week, the experience, the so-called world, appears in awareness. Well, the world moves through awareness. So it's, it's every bit as experienceable and can feel every bit as true that we move through the world or that the world moves through us. Yeah. I think there's something about being in a city um, that we don't, I don't really get to see the stars and see the all that, uh, with, you know, and so I get this really sense of me myself. Whereas sometimes when I go so on the retreats and it's a clear night, I go uh, somewhere where there's no artificial lighting, mm. it's a clear night. And I think that there's something sort of ego deflating about seeing all the stars, etc. Space. But now we're I mean, reflected in social in on social media, whatever. Just seeing people in, or reflections of myself all the time sort of boosts the ego. <coughs> about, I think. Right. Well, certainly space. You know, that's the space of a night sky. Space is arresting. You go into it somewhere where you can see a lot of space mm -hmm. has an impact. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. What you can see is a lot of things. I mean, it doesn't have to, but the, mm. the habit is such that we that we relate to it, you know, things as if they're things, and then when everything feels more like a thing. Right? There were a lot less things when mankind became conscious, you know. <coughs> yeah, it's almost like a distraction. Or some, well, it is a distraction, so many things. Now. Right. Okay, so uh, go on. So last one, otherwise we're not. I'm just saying the the rhythm of nature and has an impact and imprint on. Just thinking about in Aboriginal law, you know, you go out and be affected by you know, take walk about and just be affected by nature, mm-hmm. and that rhythm is quite. So yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. Anything that supports a certain slowing down and simplifying. I mean, that's what that's what our practice is in a way. That's what meditation is. It's just the normal material of experience, right? But we're just we're slowing down and simplifying so as to access it more fully, more subtly. Experience. And so, yeah, nature's a really good resource for slowing down and simplifying. And at the same time, like we were saying in the group, uh, small group earlier before the meeting, and someone was just talking about just coming out at Old Street and you know every the, the kind of busy rush hour feeling, and just actually just slowing down and simplifying. If you sim- slow down and simplify, the world slows down and simplifies with you. People might be charging about, but suddenly they look like the odd <laughs> exception, right? And that's a very interesting truth in terms of inner and outer. If you slow down and simplify, the, wor- you, the perception is that the world slows down and simplifies with you. When you slow down, time opens up. When you soften, space opens up. And, there, and, there, and right there, our inquiry into the nature of time, space, reality, world, self, all can start to open up. So I've got I've got a lot of the here, and we're not going to be able to get it through. I was going to speak a little bit about the kind of the view of the world, the sort of traditional view, the religious or mythic view of the world, and the sort of creation stories that we inherit, our sort of current pervasive world view, which is no longer religious mythic in the traditional sense but is, is the scientific materialist view. And whatever, whatever view you feel you hold or choose, you, we're basically really, really quite strongly conditioned by both religion, religious mythic view, even if you grew up as some kind of atheist or even if you've <coughs> shifted from one religious view to another, there's somehow that it's, it's, it's in there because it's very formative. We kind of we just learn about that stuff very early on, even if we learn it at school and we're also told by parents that it's a load of old rubbish, or if we learn it from parents and we're told by teachers that it's a load of old rubbish, or if we're told by both sets that it's a load of old rubbish. We still nevertheless grow up in the, with some sense of heaven and hell and God and creation, uh, or gods and creation, etc. And it's it's interesting as we really inquire into the world that we find the the remnants or the influences of those worldviews. And then the scientific and materialist worldview, which functions in exactly the same way as a religion does. 
It has a creation mythology. And like every religion, it purports not to be really a religion. It purports to be the truth. Right? That's what every religions do. They say everybody else has beliefs, but we have the truth. And then science comes along and says, well, all those religions, they have beliefs, but we have the truth. And one can, can look, just like any religion can do, can, do, can look at the, the evidence that's so clear to us why our version is right, and then the others are basically superstitions. And science, the scientific materialist worldview works in very, very similar ways. And, you know, it's interesting that the, 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 the Big Bang, which is basically our creation mythology, totally doesn't stand <coughs> up. Nobody can explain how on earth the Big Bang happened. There's plenty of doubt now in scientific understanding if there even was a Big Bang. Just like no one can understand how God created the world in seven days, or how um, you know, Brahma, uh, the universe grew out of Brahma's navel, or, or any of those other creation mythologies. So I think it's very interesting to, to actually to inquire into that which seems to be the truth to us culturally, scientific uh, materialist view of the universe, of the cosmos, and to actually see it as a creation mythology, as a story. I'm, I'm reading Homo Deus at the moment. I don't know if you know, have any of you read that? You're reading it as well? And uh, so by Harari, Yuval Harari, who wrote Sapiens as well. Sapiens was subtitled A Brief History of Humanity, and Homo Deus is subtitled A Brief History of the Future. And so that's kind of affected my thinking a little bit. He makes some very, very good points about the kind of religions of our time being science and humanism. And the, the belief that was never there for great swathes of time and history and in most cultures, that humans are at the center of everything. And the way in which we, we really extract a lot of our meaning about the world through the primacy of human feelings. That we define the world and we define meaning and we define culture and we define progress and we define values and we define our ethics in all in terms of how, how humans feel about things. So I don't want to get into all of that, but it's, it's part of the same territory. And then there's this basic, basic um, contradictory or um, a kind of basic friction of where, on the one hand, we expect the world to be eternal. Right? The world must have always just appeared feel eternal. The earth beneath our feet feels solid. The sky above us feels vast. We have some understanding that um, an a massive asteroid could hit us or that oh, some understanding that the sun will eventually burn out or something. But basically, our sense of the world is that it's eternal. Our experience, like Catherine was saying, is beginningless and endless. And therefore, our sense of reality is as being beginningless and endless. And simultaneously with that sense of eternalness, we seem to always also have the sense that it's under threat, that the world is about to end in some way or other. Every generation seems to produce anxiety and concern and evidence for the fact that, you know, this is the end of life as we know it. So there's a nice quote from an Assyrian tablet 
found from 2800 BCE. Translated, it says, the earth is degenerating today. Bribery and corruption abound. Children no longer obey their parents. <laughs> Everyone wants to be famous. <laughs> I, I, this is, I swear, I've do, I fact, I fact checked this because I was so shocked by it. The 2800 BCE. The earth is degenerating today. Bribery and corruption abound. Children no longer obey their parents. Everyone wants to be famous, and it is evident that the end of the world is fast approaching. <laughs> you know, how interesting. I mean, just think in, our, in, in the span of the, of the living generations, the, the, the world wars really felt like the world was ending. It's really interesting to kind of look back at the, just how momentous the, the kind of the shifts and the fears and the sense of collapse that was going on around both world wars. And then, you know, the Cold War, which was overshadowed. You know, most of us probably can remember that 80s feel that in any minute, you know, we might get the four-minute warning. That at any minute, there was possibly, we were just a hair's breadth away from being four minutes from the end of the world. And we, got, we had government promotional films, do you remember, about like, taping up the doors and hiding under the table when the nuclear bomb went off? You know? Right. Yeah. So just growing up in that sense of the Cold War, and then when the Cold War, as the Cold War sort of diminished as a sense of threat, I mean, acid rain. Do you remember acid rain? Acid rain was going to completely wreck all the forests and then denude the entire atmosphere. And there was. My daughter has this kind of way of explaining things, which is quite dramatic. And she says, and then this, and then, and then we're all going to die. <laughs> and it's kind of that, it's sort of that kind of. Is it, that's the view. So we've got this sense of the world is eternal and the world is at risk. The world is eternal and the world is at risk. And now we've got the threat of ecocide. Uh, the kind of the grave endangerment of the, of the atmosphere and of, the, of clean water and of the kind of the stability of a climate to maintain these kind of you know, levels of humans and the other and all kinds of other species and even that i mean the issue is really a serious one but even then the, the idea that you know the, the idea of save, saving the planet for example it's an extremely human-centered idea right? the planet can't be saved by us and doesn't need to be saved by us the planet isn't in danger from rising temperatures or changing air quality the planet you know if the climate changed so much that pretty much any or vast majority of life have we known it was wiped out for 20 or 30,000 years, right? For 20 or 30,000 years of a nuclear winter or 20 or 30,000 years of an ice age. In the life cycle of the planet, that's the equivalent of us being in bed for a couple of days with a cold. <laughs> and yet... So we have this sense, it doesn't matter the culture, it doesn't matter the history, it doesn't matter the, the time. We have a sense, on the one hand, that the world seems eternal, and on the other hand, that the world seems under threat. 
that the outer world. And yet, meanwhile, the inner world is exactly the same. Experience feels, and the sense of self feels eternal. I can't remember the beginning. I can't anticipate the end, whatever beliefs I might have about it. Right? The, the sense just of being here seems eternal, seems reliable. Do you not think that, I, I just hear, hearing you speak, I'm, I'm thinking that projection outside about the world yeah. eternal and under threat is a bit how I feel about me. Exactly. It's the same thing. Right? It's the same thing. Outwardly, the world seems eternal and seems under threat. And inwardly, the self seems eternal and the self seems under threat. It's exactly the same thing. But we don't tend to see it as that. We just see it through the stories about it. The stories about the world is like this and the world is like this and this and that is happening in the world. And then I'm like this and I'm like that and I've got this issue and I've got this problem and I've got this threat. And that actually is the ambiguous and contrasting and mysterious nature of everything. Somehow both eternal, vast, limitless, incomprehensibly infinite, and already disappearing, already vanishing. We're sort of eternally existent and yet never existent. So stay with the tension. It doesn't have to be a tension, right? But it definitely can appear because they, those, those, those things seem to be so fundamentally in opposition with each other, so, so irreconcilable, hence the tension. So stay with the tension. Inquire into the tension, right? That's where we meet the world, right? Is at that crossroads between the eternal and the, and the fleeting between the, reli the, the, the vast and the infinitesimal. Okay, well, time is going by, so I'd like us to get to the inquiry. So I wanted to um, just ask you a few questions about the world, firstly. <laughs> just reflective questions, I don't expect answers. Is the world, these are kind of ordinary type questions in some ways and yet you know we've been opening things up in a particular way is the world getting better or is the world getting worse just to see what 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 what's the response rather than an answer right? what happens when you just sort of take that in is the world getting better or is the world getting worse just the, we don't have time actually for answer. We could spend a lot of time on any of these questions. Is the universe hostile or benign? 
is the world reliable or endangered? Or endangered? Yeah. And and do you have is is the world a reason for optimism or pessimism? I do you find you do you kind of invest in the hope for the eternal or worry about imminent death? And of co- and of course when I ask those questions, it's not because I'm curious about the answers. I'm really curious to open up the ambiguity. So, in exploring like this, we see maybe that there's room for all kinds of multifaceted inquiry. And we see maybe that most of what our inquiry into the world does, it, it sort of, it just sort of shakes maybe, or wakes us up from the familiar rhetoric by which we make the world rather a dull place. We make the world into something known and knowable and reduced to um, the, 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 the thises and thats of my everyday concerns. And while we need to attend to the thises and thats of my everyday retu- concerns, it's a bit of a tragedy if, we end up, if that's all we end up with as our understanding of the world. Okay, so the inquiry I'd like us to do is, um, it's called a cyclonic inquiry, so it goes around and round. So we'll do it in groups of five or six. Yeah, five or six. And um, we'll go around, firstly, so you sit in a circle and you go around clockwise. And the first way you go around, you'd, and you just complete the sentence, whatever way, right? I experience the world as... Mm, I experience the world as... Each person says, I experience the world as... Yes, actually, you don't, have to, you don't have to use the as. I experience the world... And... Um, let me just see for a moment. <coughs> yeah, so let let the focus as you go around, I experience the world. Let yourself air your ways of knowing and experiencing and believing in the world. So I experience the world in terms of um, a scientific view. I experience the world uh, in terms of, you know, when I think about the trees and I get concerned about deforestation and I think about oxygen and and and, and carbon dioxide and the way it all seems sort of like a kind of delicate physical or chemical balance. I experience the world as that green ball floating through space and then the planets and that sense of the sort of spatial relationship between everything, etc. 
And then you'll go around like that for a certain time. We'll see how much time we've got to do it. And then you'll go, and then the second part is you go back the other way round. And the same, same question, I experience the world, dot, dot, dot. But this time, and the second time, you just, you let go of all of the views and the impressions and the learning and the understanding and the beliefs that you've held and known. And you just really attune to the way you're experiencing the world right now. Without needing to define what the world is. Right now, I experience the world. Dot, dot, dot. And the nature of a cyclonic, of course, is you go around, there's a certain affect in, from one to the other, one to the other. So let yourself, let yourself feel the effect of the, the cyclonic <coughs> effect. Right. The way you're kind of you're being affected by and building upon and adding to and responding to what you're what you're hearing around you. So it's not that you're speaking in direct reply to somebody else, but you're you're noticing the effect and how it stimulates your own inquiry. Is the form clear? Mm -hmm. So you want us to answer those questions in the first round. B both rounds. So the no, no, no. You're just going to say, I experience the world, da, da, da. and your experience of it may well be coloured by all the ways we've unpacked it and explored it in terms of belief, in terms of eternalness, or fragileness, in terms <coughs> of uh, uh, sort of mythic creation views or scientific views, etc., etc. So you're just exploring your view of the world, your experience. In fact, let's do it like that. Uh, my view of the world is, right, the first, the first time we'll say it, my view, my view of the world is, and then you can complete it in that kind of way. And it's an inquiry, right? It doesn't mean you have to capture some perfect essential truth. You're just playing with, you're exploring, you're finding out about those views. Don't tell what you already know, but find out, see what comes. Yeah, so my view of the world, going round, and then when we come back the other way, I experience the world, and then it's right now, here. Right now. Yes. Okay, so I uh, like, let's take like, um, I think 15 minutes each way is going to be too long, unfortunately. Let's take 12 minutes each way. And then we'll have a little time to sort of debrief together afterwards. So you just get into groups of five or six, and then you go around one way for 12 minutes, and then around the other way for 12 minutes. And somebody in each group can just have a timer. No, you just go around, and when you finish, the next one goes. Yeah. 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 They'll probably be shortish.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.